Amen. Thanks, Allie. Uh, how, many, how many trunks do we need? Ten. I need 10 people right now who volunteer to bless our community and say, I'm signing up. All right, I see two. I need 10. We can do it right now. We're going old school church. I'm going old school Baptist preacher. I'm going to do guilt and shame. I'll pull it all out if I need to. Hey, this is one event this year where we, thank you guys, uh, and, and if there's more of you who didn't raise your hand, the Lord sees you. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, this, is what, this is a great opportunity where we get to actually bless the community. We're doing this event not for us. It's not because we like candy and we like apple cider, although some of us do. Uh, it is a chance for us just to bless the community around us. We've got tons of folks that are journeying and hanging out in our park every day, all throughout the day, guys playing basketball. We wanna invite all of those to move from the park inside. Uh, and to be a part of our community. So this is a great way for us to bless the community. It's always uh, a lot of people that come, uh, and so we need a lot of help, and we need a lot of cars and all those kinds of things. Speaking of a lot of people, uh, the church is empty today. Uh, I think there was a Braves game last night that's uh, keeping some people. Um, there's, you are the faithful followers, though, so pat yourselves on the back, especially those of you who stayed up and watched the game you get an extra reward in heaven for coming to church today. Uh, well done. It is fun uh, to, uh, to have the hometown teams doing well. The Hawks are looking good this year. The Braves are playing well. Atlanta United is still playing. Uh, we're, 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 we're there. We're doing it. So I'm, we're going we're gonna to release the choke uh, thing here. Nobody, the, the one thing that we've got on our side this year is there's no one in America that wants the Astros to win. That's the one thing we've got on our side. Uh, we're finishing up a series today. We've been walking through kind of some lessons in the Sermon on the Mount. Here, here's the plan for this. This is kind of a two-part series. So we've been in this for like 14 weeks as we've walked through uh, kind of the Beatitudes and the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna take a break uh, starting next week and we're gonna talk about some kind of holiday, Christmas kind of things. We're gonna talk about some rule of life and rhythms of life and busyness and hurriedness and just some kind of topical things that I feel like we need to address as a, as a culture and as a community and things are gonna get us through the holidays and then in January we're gonna jump back in to the Sermon on the Mount and kind of walk through the Sermon on the Mount uh, a little bit more, but we're kind of uh, in this section that's really important, and so I want to wrap up with this section of, of, of text that's really important, but it's also really difficult, and so we're in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, uh, and these passages are deeply, deeply theological, they're deeply formative, um, they, and, and today I'm trying really hard to not make this a seminary class. Uh, but to make it a sermon, but there's a lot to walk through in these small bits of passages, but here's the thing that we know and we understand. Jesus was absolutely brilliant. I really believe that whatever Jesus would have done, he would have been the best at it. Are you with me? Like if Jesus would have decided to be a baker, he would have had some heavenly wisdom on some cinnamon or something that he would have brought forth and it would have been the greatest like bread that you would have ever eaten. If Jesus was gonna be I don't know, a businessman. He would have created the best business, the most redemptive business in the history of businesses. And, and he would have made money and he would have used that money for the kingdom and he would have figured out how to run his business in a healthy way. If Jesus would have decided to be an athlete, the Holy Spirit would have made those jumpers fall. Like, like whatever Jesus would have done, I really believe he would have been the best at it. Which makes no surprise that the Sermon on the Mount is the best sermon that's ever been preached. 
Like the, there is no question of the brilliance of this teaching. And Jesus' brilliance kind of shows through in these passages, but you have to kind of understand Jesus' audience and what's happening culturally in that community at that time because regardless of what you believe about Jesus' divinity, you can't doubt his brilliance. You can't doubt his geniuses. Like, like a message like this doesn't last thousands of years unless there's something valuable and something true and something brilliant in it. And Jesus is about to start teaching in a way that nobody has ever taught before. He starts using this phrase, and this is the phrase he starts using. He starts saying, you've heard it said, but I say. There's no record of anybody using that phrase in teaching prior to Jesus doing it. He didn't steal it off of, 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 of Freud or Socrates or anybody else. This is Jesus coming up with a new way. He says, you've heard it say. And what he's talking about when he says, you've heard it said, is he's talking about the law. The law was so valuable to first century Jewish Christians. The law was the way that they interpreted the life that they were supposed to live according to God. And so when they talk about the law, the word is actually the Torah. It means the instructions. These are the instructions that I give you on how to live. And it's no surprise back then, in the same way that it is now, that there was arguments in culture about what are the instructions that we're supposed to live by. How, how, how stringent do we follow the rules? How strict are these rules? How do we apply these rules to our daily lives? Which rules do we apply and which do we forget? How, 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 how deeply do we dive into the rules and the instructions and all of these different things? And so all of these are going on. And then the only question that we can have with Jesus is that Jesus was either a lunatic, he was a liar, or he was the Lord. And so people are listening in this, but whichever one you believe, lunatic, liar, or Lord, you cannot doubt the brilliance of his teaching. You can't doubt the genius of what he was talking about. Dallas Willard says this, he says, the main thing that God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish, it's the person that you become. It's not the achievements that you accomplish, it's not the things that you do, it's not the, the, the end of your life, here's all the things I did, it's who you become along the way. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking to these people who, who have gathered on this mountainside and he's talking to them about the life that you're living and the person that you're becoming. Discipleship is about the choices that you make every single day. Discipleship is, it's, it's, it's bringing everything in my life under the rule and reign of Jesus. It's submitting and surrendering everything to him and saying, not my way, but your way. That's why we call this series the way of Jesus. And so this is a tricky passage, but let's dig in a little bit. Matthew 5, verse 17, it starts with this, this phrase. It says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, for I haven't come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. He's getting ready to talk about his, you've heard it say, said segment. He's getting ready to talk about his interpretation of the law. And so as he starts to talk about his instructions for life, his interpretation of the law, it's really important to know that he's not coming to say the law is gone. He's not coming to say we're gonna forget about all the things that you've learned in the Old Testament. We're not gonna forget about the Ten Commandments. We're not gonna throw away all of these things, but I want you to understand my interpretation of those things. 
So he's coming at them in a way that's saying, I want you to understand my basic instructions for living. I want you to understand the way that I'm going to talk about this. And at that time, there were two major forces that talked about the law. There were the Pharisees and the scribes. And if you've read your New Testament, and especially if you've read like Matthew chapter 23, you realize that Jesus has some things to say to the Pharisees and to the scribes. He's not always kind to them. He gets after them a little bit. Feisty Jesus comes up when he gets in the presence of the Pharisees and the scribes. And the reason that Jesus comes at the Pharisees and the scribes is not because, it's really important, it's not because they value the law. It's because they have a different interpretation of the law than what Jesus has. So the Pharisees at that time, uh, it's a little hard to define who the Pharisees were because they weren't just a specific group of people. The Sadducees are the priests, like the scribes are the ones who are writing down the law. The Pharisees are like a, uh, they're, they're like a couple of different things. They're like a political group. So they're deeply embedded in the politics of, of, of life in their day. And in the New Testament, they don't just advocate for their religious views, they attempt to persuade government leaders. They fight for these kind of rules in the government and they're a political group. They're also a social movement. Um, there's some really beautiful things. The Pharisees are really criticized in so many different ways, but there's some things that the Pharisees do that are actually really beautiful. Because unlike the Sadducees and the priests and the Essenes who, who lived in communes and, and ran away from culture, the Pharisees were comprised of all sorts of different people from all different walks of life, and they practiced their form of their faith in public, out in front of everybody. And so socially, they were always advocating that our worship of God has to extend beyond the temple, which is good, right? Right? Our, our worship can't just be we gather together on Sundays and we sing a couple songs and we go and live however we wanna live throughout the rest of the week. The Pharisees are saying, no, 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 no. The, the, the word of God should actually influence our behavior as we walk away from the church and as we live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It should be a seven-day-a-week operation, not just a one-day-a-week gathering. And the last thing that they are is they're a school of thought. They were teachers that were training others in their interpretation and their philosophy of the law. And so they're, they're, they're a political group, they're a social movement, and they're a school of thought. And their perspective on the oral tradition completely changed how people in their culture at that time were interpreting the law. Now here's the problems with the Pharisees. Those are all good things. Here's the problems with the Pharisees. The problem, like I said, was not that they valued the law, the problem was that they valued the law in such a way that it benefited them. So they obeyed the law in a way that benefited them. They loved for everybody to see that they were holy, right? So they're the people that were in church this morning and are texting all the other Braves fans that didn't come to church this morning, which there's a lot of them, and saying, we missed you this morning, you must have stayed up too late, but I watched the whole game and I made it there this morning and I gave a prophetic word for somebody and we, gave, we tithed this morning and there was, I wrote a really nice note to the pastor. Like we did all of those things today because that's what we were asked to do. They, 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 they displayed their holiness publicly so that everybody could see and so that it would benefit them. They wanted everybody to know that they were righteous and Jesus often criticized them for that. The second thing they did was they interpreted the law in such a way that it kept them in power. A lot of this, because of the political engagement in all of this, a lot of their engagement with the law was about power. 
and, and, and who held it. And so power has always been a dynamic of interpretation. When we look at scripture throughout the history and we look at church history, power plays an enormous part of how we hold the law and what we do with the law. Jesus teaches us to hold our power in a way that benefits others. He teaches us to lay down our life for our friends, to lay down our life for others. He teaches us to become a living sacrifice. Paul says we're always being given over to death so that others might live. And so we hold our power in such a way that we lift others up and we take those who are not empowered or who, who don't have have power and we lift them up in a way that, that uses our power for good. Now, the, the Pharisees used their power to get more. They used their interpretation of the law so that they would benefit. They, they gathered more wealth from the poor rather than lifting the poor up. They, they oppressed other people groups because of the way they interpreted the law rather than lifting them up. And Jesus had a big problem with this, right? Remember Jesus flipping some tables in the temple? Jesus was not happy about using the use of power for self-benefit. Scripture says that teachers, guys like me, will be judged more severely. And so if we're going to say that we're gonna be teachers of the law, then we actually have to live according to that law. And not in such a way that benefits ourselves and lines our pockets and makes us more successful and helps everybody to see us. But in a way that says, I'm going to live in such a way that I'm gonna lay down my life for others. The third thing that they did was, I call it, I call it a gotcha spirituality. They love to catch you in something. I don't know if you've ever had somebody in your life that's like, is a gotcha spirituality person. And they love to just like, I gotcha, right? I saw you right there, I saw what you did right there. And, they, and they, they do it in such a way that it's not lifting you up and encouraging you into faithfulness, it's actually discouraging you. It's actually pushing you down. And so they did all of these things. The scribes are a different group. The, the, the key role of the scribes was to write the law. The reason that we have the New Testament and the Old Testament as it is written right now is because of the scribes. It's really valuable because the Bible was passed down through oral tradition and, and around the time of Jesus, there were people who were saying, wait a minute, we need to get this in the hands of, 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 the, of the sanctuary and in the hands of the priests and we've gotta write this down and we've gotta track everything. And so the scribes did the faithful work of taking the oral tradition and putting it in word, which was actually translated later into, into, into culture in such a way, in church history in such a way that it went out to the everyday person where we all had access to the Bible and not just the priests and the scribes and the Sadducees. It went out for everybody. They were also, they were the interpreters of the law. And so they were like the lawyers or the arbitrators of the law. And so when there was a question, if, if somebody said, well, I think this is what the law says, and somebody else said, well, I think this is what the law says, then the scribes would come together and they would arbitrate between them and decide who gets what. Um, the problem was the scribes did a lot of the same things the Pharisees did. They interpreted the law in such a way that it benefited them. And so whenever there was something at stake that they were arbitrating with that would benefit them, they would choose on the side of what benefited them. They chose what would bring value to them. And so all of these things are important to know because I, like I said before, Jesus is not upset that the scribes and the Pharisees love the law. We have to be clear about this. He's asking all of us to love the law. He didn't come to abolish it, he came to fulfill it. He's upset with their interpretation of the law, which means we have to pay close attention to how we interpret scripture. 
We have to pay close attention to are we on the side of the Pharisees and the scribes or are we on the side of Jesus? Are we living in the way of Jesus in a way that lays down our life for the people around us that gets the, the, the paradigm right and the posture right or are we living in a way that takes the law and uses it for our benefit and for our glory? So he never challenged the law. He challenged their interpretation of the law. This is really important for us to understand. Matthew 5, verse 8. He says, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth has passed away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Charles Spurgeon said this, to show that he never meant to abrogate the law, our Lord Jesus embodied it in every command of his own life. In his own person, there was a nature that was perfectly conformed to the law of God. And as was his nature, such was his life. If Jesus didn't care about the law, then why did he obey it? Why did he live a perfect life? Why did he choose to submit and surrender himself to it if he didn't believe it was valuable or if it was important. And that's strong language there. Not an iota, not a dot. Nothing from the law will be taken away. He lived a perfect life according to the law. Think about you in your best moment. Like when you were just super holy. I don't know what you did, but you just had like a, you had a morning. Let's just say you woke up some morning and the, the birds were chirping and the sun was shining and the Braves had just won and you were feeling good about the Lord and the Lord had blessed you forever and you were just like on a holy kit. You were blessing people all around you. You were, somebody sneezed and you said, God bless you. So you were helping somebody. You bought somebody's coffee in the line behind you. You came to church and you shook everybody's hands, even that dude that you don't like. You were like talking to everybody. You were hanging out. You, you were just super super, super, how long does that last for us? Like, think about, what's your streak of, of not sinning? Is there somebody that, like, made it an hour? Because I could probably, like, make it look like I'm not sinning for an hour until you start thinking about my thoughts. That's what gets me, is I can look pretty, I can look pretty good, but what's going on in my head is not always really good, Right? I don't, like, an hour, two hours, three hours? <laughs> Maybe if you're by yourself or something, I don't know, you're not watching TV, you're just, is this is like a monk, right? Maybe then you get, uh, but think about Jesus lived his entire life. I'm 46 years old, I bet I haven't lived an hour of holiness in my life. I bet I haven't lived an hour according to the law. We're always failing. We're always making a mistake. We're always getting it wrong. But Jesus didn't add to the law. He's about to give us his interpretation of the law. And when he starts giving his interpretation, he actually gives a critique of current culture. So he's critiquing the Pharisees and the scribes as he gives his interpretation. And in some interpretations, he actually raises the standard from what the law actually says. He says, listen guys, you're not taking this seriously enough. And others, he says, wait a minute, you're following the letter of the law, but you're not following the heart of the law. Jesus is really strict on certain things. He's really strict about how we treat the poor. He's really strict about certain things. But then there's other things like the Sabbath where he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what that was supposed to be. That's your interpretation of the Sabbath. And you're doing all these things so that the church will actually benefit, so that you'll make some money off of this, and so that you'll look really holy. That's not what I'm talking about. 
It's kind of like this. I, I, I'm, I'm an Ohio State football fan. I grew up in Ohio. I'm sorry. I know that makes some of you mad. Uh, I grew up in Ohio, and there's nothing good in Ohio. Like, all we have is Ohio State football. So just give me this one thing, right? It's the Bengals or the Browns or Ohio State football. There's nothing. There, you guys have a city. Like, if the Braves are bad, you have a nice life. There's nothing in Ohio, right? There's, there's Cleveland. The lake catches on fire in Ohio. That's, that's what we've got. Uh, and, and so I'm an Ohio State fan, and I grew up going to Ohio State football games. It's my happy place. I, I, love, I love college football. I love the atmosphere. I love the tradition. And when I was a little boy, my dad just started taking me to one or two games a year. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money, so we'd always sit way up top, and we'd always go to the games against the Mac school that we were going to win by 55 points against, which was always fun, uh, but it wasn't always the best games. But we would go to two or three games a year, and, and, uh, and, and when I was in college, we got season tickets for a couple years. Uh, I paid for half of it, my dad paid for half of it, and we would go, and we went to every game. My, my greatest memories of me and my father are at Ohio State football games. It's just, just special. We grew up loving the same thing and loving the same team and cheering for the same group. There's something really, really fun about it. And every time you go to an Ohio State game, there's this kind of walkway into the stadium. And so the team goes first, the band gathers, and then the band goes down, and everybody kind of lines up. The band goes in, the team goes into the stadium, and then all the fans start to follow them into the stadium. And there's this one spot in the horseshoe, because the, the, the stadium's shaped like a horseshoe, and there's this one spot on the end of it where this guy is preaching. And he, like... Somehow he has raised himself up so that he's much higher than everybody else. He's got like a stage that he builds there. And so he's like, he's taller than everybody else. He's got megaphones and he's shouting. And he's shouting a lot of the things that you would expect street preachers to shout at the front of an Ohio State game. So he's shouting like, you're a sinner. You know, he's, he's coming after people. There's not a lot of grace in the message. There's not a lot. He's just kind of fire and brimstone kind of coming at you. And and I always have a weird relationship with these guys because I, like, I love their like, passion, that they're willing to stand up in front of 110,000 people and shout about their faith. I just hate their interpretation. And so I, I remember I, I, went, I went with my dad to a game like two years ago, and we're walking into the stadium, and, and I, was, I had an Ohio State jersey on. I was not doing anything. Just I need everybody to know. I was not... I didn't have a drink in my hand. I was not, I, there's nothing going on. I'm just walking into the stadium. And for some reason, this guy zeroed in on me. And he was like, you. <laughs> and everybody like turns and is kind of like looking at me like I had just done something really unholy. He's like, you are a son of Satan. You're going to, and just started like shouting all of these things. I was like, no, buddy, I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm all right. I feel like that's how Jesus thought about the Pharisees sometimes. Like, I, I appreciate your passion. I appreciate that you love the law. I appreciate that you're willing to stand and fight for it. Like, the, the length that the Pharisees went to obey the law is ridiculous, guys. They would measure out their spices so that 10% of their spices would, can you imagine, like, going to the grocery store and buying some salt and then getting home and saying, all right, I gotta get 10% out of this and I gotta give it to Jesus. That's what they would do. The Pharisees would walk in public. They would be in a big crowd and they would walk in public and they would be so afraid that their eyes were going to lust that they would close their eyes and run into stuff. Right, so there's these guys walking around, there's a pretty girl and then they're just like. This is the length that they would go to. They did all of these different things. 
Um, and there's a way of following the law that makes you look good without actually becoming good. That's not the way. There's a way of following the law that hurts those that have less than you and gives you power. That's not the way. There's a way of following the law that's, all, that's about wealth and status, and that's not the way. In Matthew 23, Jesus famously gives his seven woes to the Pharisees and the scribes, and they are, they're woes, right? He comes after them. I'll give you a little, a little taster. Verse 12, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe the mint and dill and cumin and neglect the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. Woe to you, verse 25, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. He's coming after them, right? Jesus is this nice guy. But in verse 23, he gets, he gets after it. It's important for us to understand he's not attacking the law. He's attacking their interpretation of the law. Because there's a way that we can look at this and we can say, all right, and this is what a lot of people are doing in our culture right now. We just have to look to Jesus and Jesus rejected the law and so we get to throw out half of the Bible because Jesus rejected the law. Jesus didn't reject the law, he rejected the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. Jesus didn't devalue this book, as some would say. He actually raised the value. He raised the standard in so many different ways. And he said, this is still valuable. We're called to walk in this. I, I, I often run into people who will say to me, Pastor, I don't believe in God. I had this terrible experience at this church or I went to this church and, and these people did this thing to me or this happened, I've got these church wounds or these things that happened. And I often say to them, tell me about the God that you don't believe in because my guess is I don't believe in him either. And when they start telling me about the God that they don't believe in, I'm like, well, that's not the God that I believe in. That's not the God of the scriptures. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that is revealed in the life of Jesus. That's not the word made flesh. That's not the resurrection in the life. That's not who I'm talking about. I don't know what you've gotten, but you've, you've thought, you've started to believe that that interpretation is God. So you can't throw out God because there's bad interpretations of them. You can't throw out his word because there's bad interpretations of them. And so what we have right now in our culture is we've got lots of different ways. We've got the way that says, I've gotta follow the law so tight and it's fundamentalist and it's, it's, it's all about obedience and it's all about pride and arrogance and it's all about what, well, it's the Pharisees and the scribes stance. And then there's this other stance that just says, we just throw it all out. Just get rid of all of it, whatever makes you happy. Jesus is about love. There's no rules or regulations if you love. Real freedom comes when we don't uh, follow the rules and the, and the, and the regulations. The, 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 the great Scandinavian uh, theologian, Elsa, right? She, she, every junior high girl in the world, my daughter sang this song for years. That's the no rules, no right, that's the way of life. We're teaching in our culture that freedom comes when we step away from the laws, when we step away from the rules. And there are people that are saying that Jesus affirms this when the truth is Jesus doesn't affirm that. C.S. Lewis always says there's a third way, and the third way is the way of Jesus. It's not the way of fundamentalism. It's not the way of liberalism. It's in the middle. 
And that's not to say that everything is centrist, right? There are things where Jesus takes a stand on. Jesus doesn't just land in the middle on all those issues. There's things where Jesus says, no, that's wrong. And I don't care if I'm gonna stand here or I don't care if I'm gonna stand here, but I'm gonna interpret the word of God through the life of Jesus and through the word of God and not through our culture. And it's hard work. Can I just tell you, as a pastor, this is hard work because when I talk about this is what the word of God says, the people over here are mad at me and the people over here are mad at me. And so everybody's frustrated. Everybody's worked up and Jesus is standing in the middle saying, I didn't add to the law, I fulfilled it. He fulfilled the doctrinal teachings of the law when he brought them to their full revelation. He fulfilled the prophecy of the law and the prophets when he, when he became the promised one, showing us the reality behind the shadows. He fulfilled the moral and the legal demands of the law when he lived a perfect life that none of us could live. We couldn't live holy for an hour. Jesus did it his whole life. He fulfilled the penalty of the law when he died for us on the, Christ, on the cross. And by his death on the cross, he took the penalty that we deserved. And in some ways, he raised the standard. In Matthew 5, verse 43, he said, you've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you get slapped, then turn your face. He's actually raising the standard. He's saying, listen, this is what the law says, and I need you guys to understand, your interpretation of the law is not giving the law enough value. You need to actually love your enemies more. And then there's other times Mark chapter two, verse 27, where he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Like all your rules about the Sabbath have gotten so ridiculous that you've forgotten the whole purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for you so that you can rest. We're gonna talk about Sabbath in the coming weeks. Here's the scary thing about Sabbath. It's sitting right next to murder in the 10 Commandments. Don't murder and rest. I feel like our congregation is doing a pretty good job with the don't murder piece. We've done, I wanna just affirm you guys in the last year, well done with not murdering each other. We got some work to do on rest though, don't we? We got some work to do on slowing down. We got some work to do on resisting the impulse to always create and always build. Uh, Jesus has to be a part of our interpretation of scripture. One of my Bible professors said, Jesus is the guide that walks you through all of scripture. And so if you're gonna read through the Old Testament, take Jesus with you and know that the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The Bible is the story of God putting his family back together again through his son Jesus. And if we don't walk with his son Jesus through the whole thing, then we've got an incomplete interpretation of scripture. Here, we, and, and then this is, this is what allows us to like cherry pick passages. Right, so we just grab a passage out of the Old Testament and we, we apply it to everything in our life rather than interpreting it, rather than allowing Jesus to walk with us, rather than understanding the context of what's actually going on there. There is a key to understanding this and Jesus becomes our guide in all of these things. Here's the funny thing about the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes actually decided to argue with God about his interpretation of the law. Like the amount of arrogance, Jesus, the son of the living God, and they're like, I don't know, Jesus. I'm not sure about that. We do the same thing. We argue about our interpretations of the law. And, and, and here's the reality. If we're really obeying the word of God, there's going to be things in there that we don't like. 
There's going to be things in there that are hard. There's going to be things in there that are challenging. And I have a lot of friends right now who their interpretation of Scripture is all based through the lens of what do I like. I don't like eating vegetables, but I have to eat them to be healthy. I don't like exercise, but I have to exercise in order to be healthy. There's a lot of things in this world that I don't like, but I need to do because they're what's best for me. This is the interpretation of the law. There's things in here that I kind of wish they were said a little differently. There's things in here that I struggle to obey myself that are hard, but I don't get to just throw them out because I don't like them. I don't get to just throw them out because I've decided it's not important to me or it's not valuable to me or I read something over here that said something. I, 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 I understand that Jesus is the fulfiller of the law. So here's what we need to understand. Everybody interprets the law. The question is, are we doing it faithfully? Are you with me? We all have our interpretation of the law. Whether you've memorized this entire book or whether you've never heard any of this before in your life, you have interpreted the scripture in a certain way. And the question is, will we do this faithfully? Matthew 5, 19, it says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, they'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, listen to this, this is crazy. This is where everybody has a hard time with this passage. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, who are counting out their salt, the 10%, who are covering their eyes. There's actually a story of a scribe that there was a fire in his home during the Sabbath and he felt like it was work for him to leave the house so he just died in the fire. That's the level of righteousness. That's the level of commitment to holiness and all of these things. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to be holy. I want you to value holiness. I want you to value right living. I want you to value righteousness. I want you to care for my word and I want you to care about your life and the way that you live your life every day. Here's the beautiful thing about the Bible. This is, this is something I learned early on in seminary and I've never ever forgotten it. The law always points us to Jesus because we try it and we can't even make an hour. Right, so we're trying to be holy. Like even on your best days, when all your intentions are great, you're going to make a mistake. And so we have to have somewhere to go with that. We go to our perfect savior, Jesus. So the law always points us to Jesus because we can't live in perfection as he did. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in need of a savior. All of us are going to make mistakes. All of us are gonna make the wrong choices. All of those things are gonna happen in our life over and over and over again. But here's the beautiful thing that Jesus does. Jesus points us back to the law. So the law points us to Jesus, and then Jesus points us back to the law and says, keep going, keep trying, keep working, keep figuring it out. Galatians 3 verse 21 says this, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until faith could be revealed. So until then, the law was our guardian until Christ came. And in order that we might be justified by faith, 
But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are sons of God through faith. Be like the scribes and the Pharisees, but understand this interpretation. Commit yourself to every single, this is the beauty of our faith, guys. Every day for the rest of your life, you will wake up and you will have a list of choices ahead of you. I was thinking about this the other day. Have have you guys ever thought about um, chess? I think we got a picture of a chess board here. Have you ever thought about chess and thought about the amount of different moves that are possible in a chess game? I nerd out on stuff like this, so I started researching it. And it's really complicated because after the first couple moves, there's only a certain amount of things that you can do. But after the third move, uh, what, I, what I learned was that there are 1.2 million possibilities in a game of chess. It's different than Uno, right? There's 1.2 million possibilities in a game of chess after you make that first move. And so that's what makes the game fun. Every game is different. There's all these different choices. This person moves here, and then I have to decide where I'm going to move. It's act and react. It's counter. And there's a, so many choices available that every time you play, it's not the same why people love it. Think about the amount of choices you make in a day. Social scientists say we make about 35,000 choices a day. That's about one choice every two seconds. But what that doesn't include is the choices when we make to not make a choice. Right? It gets really meta at this point, right? So I was thinking about yesterday. Yesterday, I, I, was, I, I was driving home. I was at the beach this week in Florida, and I was driving home. And as I was driving home, I started thinking about all the different choices that I could have made. Like, at all times, every road that I passed was a choice. Every exit that I passed was a choice. Every Bucky's and every uh, McDonald's and every, all of those things, there was a choice, right? There was a choice of how fast I'm going to drive. There was a choice of what I'm going to listen to. There was a choice of whether I respond to that text in the moment and how I respond to that text in the moment. There was all of these choices. I I wanted to call my son who's at college, and so there was a choice of when on this drive do I call my son. There was all these choices that went through our day and that went through my day yesterday, and all of those choices had the power to affect my today. The choices of yesterday always have the power to affect today. Uh, Stephen Covey said this. Stephen Covey said, until a person can say deeply and honestly that I am what I am today because of the choices I made yesterday, that person can never really change. Until we recognize that we're making choices over and over and over again and the choices become the, the, the activity of who I am, we can't actually grow and we can't actually be transformed. And so here's the beauty of this. We wake up every single day and Jesus says to us in the morning, We got a new day. We got a new day today. Are you gonna walk in the way of Jesus? Are you gonna walk in my way? Are you gonna submit and surrender to my call on your life? Are you gonna do your thing? And discipleship is every day I get a little bit better at choosing Jesus. I don't ever reach perfection. I don't ever get there. I've known some really holy people. We don't ever reach that point of perfection where we figure it all out. But I keep saying, choose my way. 
Uh, the movie Dune came out this weekend. I don't know if any of you are excited about that. I know a lot of sci-fi people were really excited about that. And I, I haven't watched it yet. I'm, gonna, I'm planning on watching it this week. I just haven't had time this week. But there was this clip that just caught my attention. And in the clip, that's a father and a son that are having a conversation. I did a little research on the characters so I could at least talk about it with some kind of level of understanding to the sci-fi people in the room. Uh, there's a father and a son. The father is set to inherit the family. He's set to lead in the future. There's some questions of whether he's the one. And he's sitting there with the father, and the father's talking to him about leadership, and he says something about how leadership isn't something that you choose. It's just something, leadership is something you choose. It's something that there's a possi- all kinds of possibilities, and it's something that you choose. And, and the father looks at the son, and he says, well, what if I'm not the one? Which is, I think, the question that we all ask. What if, I'm on, what if I'm not up to the choices that you want me to make? What if I can't faithfully live up 24 hours following you? What if I am not strong enough? What if I'm not capable enough? What if I'm not? We're always asking that question to God. What if I'm not? And the father looked at him and he said this. This is just a beautiful scene. I want you all to imagine the father in heaven looking at you and saying this to you. He said, if you're not, then you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. You'll be my son. That's the beauty of grace, guys. Jesus says, strive for holiness. Be like the Pharisees. Be like the scribes. Get after it. Live your best life. I believe in you. I want you to change the world because of your choices and because of the way that you live. And commit to it and strive and try every single day. But if you fail, you are the only thing I ever needed you to be. You are my son and you are my daughter. And you are a beloved child of the Most High God who is an ambassador for him, who holds power and authority of my name, and who's been invited to change this community for the good of the kingdom. The good news today is every single one of you in the room are sons and daughters of the Most High God and you are everything he ever needed you to be. He has placed inside of you the good work that he has prepared for you in advance. Everything you need to become the person he's called you to be, it's already there. And so we wake up every day with a really good father and we say, let's do better today than we did yesterday. The kingdom of God is not about perfection, it's about progress. It's about one step forward, facing Jesus and saying, I'm just gonna keep moving towards you today. And so we're gonna move into a time of communion. I've already talked too long, I apologize. This is a hard passage. Uh, we're going to move into a time of communion, and, and, and as we do, communion is our chance to just reflect. It's our chance to actually spend time with Jesus. And so I don't want to give these words every week and they just be words. I want us to actually take some time and say, all right, Jesus, what does this mean for me? And so when you think about your choices, when you think about the calling on your life, when you think about what Jesus is inviting you to do, maybe there's areas of your life where you've not taken the law seriously enough. And you need to say, Jesus, you need to challenge me and convict me and call me to something greater. Maybe there's, there's times when you've been such a fundamentalist that you've, you've, you've taken the law and you've interpreted it in, in the wrong way and Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not my interpretation. But the fun thing about this is this is what the church gets to do. This is what every church from the beginning of time, from Acts until now, has done, is they interpret the word of God and they try and live faithfully to it in their communities. And and just like all of us trying to live perfect, there's no church that's perfect. 
We're all gonna get it wrong in some way. And we pray that our kids will correct the mistakes that we made, right? But we just continue to walk faithfully. So what does faithfulness look like this for you this week? I, I just wanna ask just a couple real simple questions here as, as we wrap up. Uh, are we devout when it comes to our holiness and righteousness? Or do we make excuses because it's hard? Do we interpret the law to benefit us? Do we make it easier on us and harder on others? Or do we interpret the law through Jesus? And does our interpretation of the law align with Jesus's? The way that we're talking about is the way of Jesus. And the way that we get there is we simply study his word. We look at his life over and over again. And we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. And so that's what I wanna invite you to do in this time is just invite the Holy Spirit to guide you and direct you. Maybe there's something that you need to do in your life. Maybe there's an area where you think, well, maybe I've been interpreting this wrong. Maybe I need to study this, pay attention to it. Maybe I've been saying, I don't wanna do that because I actually don't like what it says, but I'm actually called to be faithful to it and it's hard. Maybe I don't wanna live obedient to this passage because the culture around me is saying, don't obey the scripture, do your own thing. And I need to say, you know what? I'm, I'm not defined by culture. I'm defined by the kingdom of God. I belong to another kingdom and not this world. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would guide us right now. We just trust you, Lord, that you're present, that you're with us, that you're working. And we just confess that interpreting your law is as difficult to us as it was for the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's easy for us to cast stones at them. But the reality is when we look at them, we find out we're probably a lot like them. And so we repent, Lord. We don't wanna be like the Pharisees and the scribes. We wanna be like your son, Jesus, and we wanna walk in his way. And so I ask that your holiness would flood over this place in a new and a fresh way. I ask that you would bring new revelations of callings, new revelation of faithfulness, new revelations of ways that we've got it wrong. And I pray that as a community, we would be willing to surrender and submit and say, okay, Jesus, we wanna follow you. I pray that you would teach us that when we're trying to figure something out, we seek your son's life. We look at the life of Jesus, who is the word made flesh and that he guides us, that we look to your word and we allow your word to direct us, that we co-discern together and that we lean on the wisdom of faithful saints who have walked with you longer than we have and we trust the wisdom of community. And so we ask that you teach us to be faithful that you teach us to follow, that you teach us to surrender, that you teach us to love your words. But most of all, Jesus, we ask that you would just be with us and you teach us your way. It's in his holy name that we pray. All God's people said, amen.